How are you today? Good. I'm still pretty sick. So, Sudafed and Red Bull again. Uh, my name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. We are in a series called Not Today, Satan. If you haven't been here for the whole series, it's no big deal. You might be able to check out some of it online in order to catch up. But we've been talking about who Satan is, what he does, kind of what's going on, the whole idea of there being this evil presence. And what does it mean for us to relate to that, engage that, be victorious over it? Uh, this is the last week of that series. We're going to kind of talk about the, the end game with Satan. Um, what I'm going to do here in just a second is I'm going to pray. And so if you're n- not a believer, if you, you're just roped into coming here for whatever reason, uh, what I would ask you to do is just kind of open yourself up to the experience, okay? You do the same thing with the singing and everything else. You just kind of bow your heads, shut your eyes, and say, hey, God, if you're out there, mess around in my heart, in my mind, lead me to yourself. So if you'll pray with us. Father God, we come before you today, and we would ask, Father, that you would lead us in your word to yourself, to your love, your light, your truth. We ask, Father, that you'd keep the evil one at bay, you'd expose him for what he is, and we pray, Father, that you would just lead, guide, and direct our hearts and our minds this morning. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so at the end of World War II, I was there. Um, So anyways, at the end of World War II, um, there were several concentration camps that were liberated. And the day after the liberation of these camps, an odd thing was noticed by some of the soldiers that had liberated the camps. The prisoners in the camps got up the day after liberation and went right back to their chores that the Nazis had given them. And the soldiers explained, you've been, you've been set free. And it couldn't calculate in them. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. And so for some of these prisoners, that captivity really lasted another couple of weeks before it finally dawned on them what had happened. Now that's important because I want you to be thinking about, has Christianity really dawned on you? And you may go, of course, I, I know what Christianity is, even if you're not a believer. I, I, there's these concepts, and if you believe these concepts, you go to heaven someday, and really that's, a, you know, that's about it. When was the last time you were in shock and awe about what Christianity is? I mean, stunned, jaw wide open, just, What? In the Bible, there's this contrast, you see. There's these two stories that I want to kind of share with you real quick. Um, After Jesus has died and been resurrected, there's some people that don't know that that has happened. They're on the Emmaus Road. And there's these two people talking, and they're like, hey, you know, we we, we thought that Jesus was maybe going to be the bomb diggity, but, you know, it really didn't turn out that way. I'm going to go back to fishing. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I, you know, I, It just didn't work. It wasn't real. It didn't have any substance to it. Now, Jesus has died, and he's been resurrected, but they don't know that, and it's not affecting anything. Contrast that with another story. Paul and a guy named Silas are beaten, and they're thrown into prison, and they sing songs all night in kind of exultation and joy, even though their circumstances are terrible. There's something that they know that's transformed them. Well, yeah, Jesus has been resurrected, and they know that. 
Yeah, they know more than that. They know the implications of that. When was the last time you thought about the implications of if Jesus really is God, he really did die kind of for us, and he was resurrected? What does that mean in terms of reality? Not just heaven someday, but like right here, right now. We're in a series about Satan, so we're also going to be talking about all of that in in relation to Satan. What happened to Satan in light of the resurrection? What will happen to him? And, And why does any of this stuff matter? Well, let me lead you uh, through a section of Scripture called 2 Colossians. And 2 Colossians is a lot like the book of Galatians. It's a, a, a warning set of Scriptures. And you go, oh, I'm going to get yelled at. No, probably not. It's a warning that you've been set free by Jesus. And both of these, Colossians 2 and all of Galatians, is about people going in reverse. Instead of being liberated in relationship with God and being, wow, I'm loved and God's compassion, his mercy, instead of all that kind of flooding in, people are going in reverse back into legalism, back into religiosity, back into law, back into everything else. So it's Jesus plus, plus this, plus this, plus this, which always leaves you standing not quite 100% with Jesus, right? Because you're not perfect, and maybe you swear a little, and you watch some R-rated movies, and you listen to the wrong music, and the list just goes on and on and on, and so you're, you're never really all there. And this is a warning section saying, no, 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 no. You need to realize you're all there, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did. So I want you to read this section with me. This comes from the message version of the Bible, which brings it just kind of to life a little bit more. It says this in Colossians 2.8. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with their big words and their intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. That's not the word. That's not the way of Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about a couple of things. When it says watch out, it's in the Greek, it's basically as emphatic as possible. It's like be alert. Have your minds ready. You're, somebody wants to capture you. Okay, it's those, you know, those vans that have no windows and bad people come and steal you from the alleyway. That's the vibe that Paul is saying. And here's the deal. This isn't going to come from Satan. This is going to come from your brothers and sisters in Christ. That there's going to be these Christians that are going to sabotage you. They're going to try to capture you. You need to look out. What are they going to try to capture you towards? They're going to try to capture you towards all this old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy religiosity stuff in reverse. This will be plain as day by the time we're done reading all of this section. One of the things that happened at the end of the Civil War is, much like we talked about with the concentration clamp, the slaves were set free. Like, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been liberated. But they couldn't wrap their heads around it. And the slave masters took advantage of it and said, yeah, 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 you're, you're free, but you still got to work my land and I'll, just, I'll pay you a couple of bucks instead of just giving you food. They never really experienced the freedom that had legally been given to them. Now, here's the trick question. You, as a Christian, have you fully understood mind and heart what this idea of salvation and rescue really means? What its full implications are? 
Because I'd like to ask you to try to get back to shock and awe about what this all means. It says this in Colossians 2, 9 through 10. It says, everything of God gets expressed in him, talking about Jesus, so that you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Now, what's he saying? He's contrasting what he just said in the other passage. There's these people that are adding to the gospel. You know what you need to do? You need to believe this Jesus stuff, but, and let's just add whatever you want to add to it. Add some legalism. Add some social justice. Add some speaking in tongues or prosperity gospel, or you can't say these words or those words. Add all sorts of things to it. And all of a sudden, what you are is you're you're, you're not 100% connected to Jesus, You're like 86% or you're 65%. And if you were to just do these other things, if you were just to add a couple other things, then you could lock and load to 100%. But this verse is saying, no, very much the opposite. Just focus on Christ. The the fullness of Christ, the 100% of Christ extends 100% to you. You are filled to complete capacity by what Christ accomplished on the cross. You don't get to add anything to it, so there's no pride. You don't get to add anything to it and think that you're not good enough. Now, think about that. Think about, okay, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm kind of failing, and I'm kind of this, and I'm kind of Luke. Maybe none of that is real. Maybe that's all slave language, and you don't realize what has happened. He goes on, and he says this. Entering into this fullness is not something that you figure out or you achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No. You're already in. Insiders. Not through some secret initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already done for you, destroying the power of sin. There's a lot going on there. He's basically saying, look, it's not a matter of you getting your act together. I think we've kidded about this before. If you're new here to the church, does God have that kind of time to wait for us to get our act together? No, he doesn't. So what he does is, in sending his son to die for our sins, he's basically saying everything you've ever done wrong, everything you will do wrong, all of it is going to be attached to Jesus. And you're going to be completely liberated from guilt and shame and inadequacy and everything else. It's full. That's the term that's used over and over again in this verse. It's at 100% in who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And all of that is transferred to you. And it's not transferred to you because you were baptized or because you got circumcised or because you never swear or because you attend church or anything else. How's it extended to you? By grace through faith. It's the radical thing about Christianity compared to every other religion. Every other religion is, here's your list of things to check off, and then maybe, kind of, sort of, you're going to get to some place. Christianity is, trust what Jesus already accomplished, 
and everything breaks loose like a flood and avalanches and overwhelms you. That's the shock and awe of the gospel. It's not about being circumcised. It's not about a long list of rules. You're already in. What Christ has already gone through for you. And then it says destroying the power of sin. How does it destroy the power of sin? What is the power of sin? Well, sin, you know, you got a list. You don't even have to be church to know the list. You know, you, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you do all sorts of things. Why do we lie and cheat and steal? Because there's stuff out there we want, right? If I changed my circumstances or if I, if I got this stuff or I bought this, there's something else out there that's going to make me happy. Something in creation that's going to make me happy. And then Christ comes along as the creator and says, you know what's going to make you happy? Not anything in creation, but Christ himself can make you happy. What if you really thought that you were loved unconditionally, absolutely, eternally, everlastingly? Then all of a sudden, it's not just that you're happy, it's that you have this inherent, indwelt joy that makes all these temptations stupid. That's not going to make me happy. That's not going to make me arrive. That's not going to make me feel satisfied because I'm already there. A God loves me. My God loves me absolutely in the complete nakedness and raw reality of who I am. There's nothing this world can offer that compares to that. But again, you have to walk in that. You have to believe that. You could be a slave who's been set free and just go, I'm in autopilot. I'm going through the old way of doing things. Remember, Paul, a couple of times in Scripture, says he wants to kind of birth this thing in you. He wants this thing to, to come to life. I remember when Amy showed me the little thing that says she's got a baby in her. And I went, eh, okay, wow, a little, little shock and awe. But not the kind of shock and awe when my son actually emerged. Then it was like, wow. <coughs> the question is, are, are you in the mode as a Christian of, oh yeah, that, it, it says that color. Okay, yeah, I, I, I believe it. Or are you in, this is being birthed in me. This is being awakened in me. This is coming to life and alive in me. Holy moly, I am loved. Holy moly, compassion and God's joy and his truth and meaning and all of that flooding in wave after wave after wave. That's the radicalness of the gospel that the world forgets because we're out there peddling. You need to believe this concept. And people are like, well, I, I don't believe that concept. <laughs> I, I would say to the world, you need to see through my eyes and in my heart what I'm experiencing because, oh, man, this is good. This is good news. He goes on and he says this. If it's an initiation rite that you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. And then he's going to explain a little bit. Going under the water was a burial of your old life and coming out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. Basically what he's saying is he's saying you need to understand the symbolism of what this Christian experience is. This idea of 
baptism is this idea that much like Jesus was kind of, he goes into the tomb and then he comes out alive. This idea of baptism is the idea of you going into the waters as a dead person and coming up awake and alive in a totally new way. There's an old Christian quote that says this, the glory of God is man fully alive. What does that mean? It means that the gospel wants to liberate you to be fully alive, set free of guilt and shame and alienation, being given purpose and meaning and identity, you being fully alive creatively, emotionally, intellectually, all awake, out of the fog, out of death, out of coma. You can be in a cognizant coma. What is a cognizant coma? It's where somebody is laid out on the bed and they, their vital signs are not doing, doing great, but they can hear you. They just can't respond or react. There's plenty of Christians, to be honest with you, that's exactly right. They, 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 they're, they're there, they're on the slab, they, they get the ideas, but it's not awake and alive in them. A pararescuer has a, a set of definitions for how awake and alive somebody is. It's called alert and oriented. And they have a, a designation for it. So if you see like this pararescuer in the helicopter and they're going over and there's a perfect storm and there's you know, people in the boat and people out in the water, they're going to go down, they're going to they're identify where that person is at. They can be alert and oriented times zero, which basically means that they are completely unconscious and non-functional. They're alive, but that's it. You can be alert and oriented plus one. They're at least awake. Plus two, they're awake and they know who they are. Plus three, they're awake, they know who they are, they know where they are, and then plus four is they get what's going on. All kidding aside, I've been a pastor a long time. Most Christians are alert and oriented, zero plus one plus two tops. There's very few that go, I get it. I get it. He goes on and he says this in Colossians 2, 13. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. What's he saying? It says that we're sin-dead, we're buried in sin. What, what is all that idea? That idea basically is there's this person in the ground that for all intents and purposes is, is comatose. They're kind of dead to everything. They're weighed down by guilt and shame and alienation from God and, to be honest with you, distractions and trivia and the ways of the world and all that stuff. And that's what they are. They're just, they're just there. And then something happens. We call it salvation. We call it rescue, whatever you want to call it. You open yourself up to faith and you invite God to come in. And all of a sudden... What it says is that you're raised from the dead. Well, what does that mean, that I'm raised from the dead? It means that at that instant, amazing things happen. That much like the slave who doesn't understand what has happened, it has happened. You're going to have to acquire a, a reality engagement with it. You're set free from sin. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're sealed until the day of redemption. Basically, as you're resurrected out of this deadness, you're flooded with God's adoption and his love and his compassion and his truth and his wisdom and placed into his church and given a future and a hope and meaning and purpose. And the list just goes on and on and on. And you want to stand before that avalanche, that flood, and just go, 
wow. Like when my son was born, wow. Or you've been going through chemo treatment, and they come in and they say that you're cancer-free, and you go, wow. Or you've been doing your scratch-offs, because, you know, life sucks and it's hard, and you won $2 billion, wow. Well, what does Christianity do? Well, you settle for, you know, I need to clean up my language. Then I could really be close to Christ. Now, I suppose I ought to give a couple of bucks at church. Then I'd really be close to Christ. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really close to Christ because there's these things that I'm not fulfilling. And so Jesus and I aren't really tight. And so, you know, I kind of live that way. And I... Jesus fulfilled every single thing and placed you within himself so that you could become fully awake and alive. And we settle for, I, I feel guilty that I didn't read my Bible. I, I, I feel guilty I didn't sing loud enough. I, I didn't give any money this week. And Man, God's got a, a lot bigger plan for you than some religious claptrap. Do you get it? Are you in shock and awe? Because he's trying, Paul's trying to get you into shock and awe. Colossians 2.14 says this, Think of it, and there's emphatics in the language, which basically means throw exclamation points everywhere if you take notes in your Bible. Think of it, all of your sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross. The Greek word that's used in all of this is obliterated. Your alienation from God is completely and utterly obliterated, washed over, disintegrated. You are completely at home, completely at rest, completely secure, completely loved. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can subtract from it. And what if that's true? What if the God of the universe loves me in that radical sort of way? And what does it do to Satan? Why don't you start to think about that? If Satan's job, is got, he's got these two big things. There's lots of things he does. He lies, destroys, he's a thief. But two big ones is, one is he tempts and one is he accuses. So here's Satan and he's going, I need to, I'm going to tempt these guys because they fall for anything. And so I'm going, to, I'm going to tempt them to do this because I'm going to say that do this and then you're going to be happy. But what if you believe all this and you start to realize, dude, you can't tempt me anymore. Now you can, it depends on what you do with it, but really, you can't tempt me anymore because there's nothing you can offer me that comes close to what God has already given me. The second part is Satan accuses. You know, you people have done this, and you people have done this, and you know what you did, and I know what you did, and we all know what you did, and you're not really tight with God, and all of a sudden... That's completely taken off the grid as well because every sin, past, present, and future is obliterated by what Christ accomplished. Can you imagine the look on his face? Because he's skimming along Old Testament to New Testament, Genesis all the way into the New Testament. And you know what? I got these people figured out, and they're idiots. And I can tempt them with stuff, and I can accuse them with stuff, and I can lie and cheat and steal, and they're idiots. And I can, I can run them off of cliffs 24-7. I'm winning. Absolutely winning. God's little experiment with these people being made in his image is a categorical 10 out of 10 failure. 
That's what he's saying up until this point in time. More than that, he tried to tempt Jesus in the desert. It, it, it didn't work, but it's okay because these idiot people are, are heading towards killing him. So this is great. I, I'm winning at the little thing of these people, and, and God said he's made them in their image, and they have all this potential. And blah. I'm winning at destroying that. And then more than that, I, what could be better poetic justice than the fact that they're going to kill Jesus? Now, Here's where things get really, really, really interesting. What is Satan thinking right up until the moment of the cross? I'm winning. I'm winning. I'm winning. And then up at the cross, when does Satan start to figure out what's going on? When does Satan realize that this is going to be the atonement? Jesus is going to be the sacrificial lamb for all these people. Jesus is about to liberate all of them. Satan, you think that you're winning. You're about to go down in flames. It says this in Colossians 2.15. It says, he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. What does that mean? Well, it's given some real graphic language that the people of that day would understand. What would happen is if there's a, a conqueror and the, the, the conquered army, what the conqueror would do to the conquered army is they would take that army and they would take away all of their armament. They would literally strip them completely naked and they would march them through the streets so that all the people who were afraid that they would be enslaved to this, this, this people, they can see that they are utterly stripped of their power, and they're not to be afraid of. They've been taken captive. They have no power whatsoever anymore. You can laugh at them at this parade of humiliation and nakedness. That's what Paul says. See, you, you understand a little bit the radicalness of Christianity, and that Paul's trying to get people back to a radicalness about Christianity. This is what's going on. All your guilt, all your shame, all of that is obliterated. You are completely and utterly set free. You can be all that God wants you to be if you will walk in it, if you will engage it, if you will believe it, if you will awaken. And Satan, Satan's temptation, and Satan's accusation, both hands chopped off. You watch movies. There's moments in movies where the, the bad guy or the bad girl thinks they're winning. And they're all full of their bravado and their pride and grrr. And then instantaneously something happens. Somebody takes the ring and throws it into the molten lava or this with the lightsaber or that with this. And all of a sudden that villain, the look on their face of panic. I want you to watch this film clip just so you can get a, a little bit of a feel of the vibe of it. In the, in the film clip, it comes from Avengers Endgame. And Thanos is the big bad guy. And he's going to, like, kill everybody and destroy because he's the most powerful. La, 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 la. And he thinks he's won. He thinks he's about to take it all. And I want you to watch this because he's not going to. But I want you to see the look on his face of surprise. Because it's important that you understand that look of surprise on his face for what we're going to talk about next.
I wonder if it's the moment when Jesus is on the cross and says, it's finished. I wonder if it's when he's resurrected from the grave. I don't know what moment it is. And you could just see Satan's face going. He was in shock and awe. Are you in shock and awe at what has happened to you if you're a follower of Christ? There's a zillion religions out there. There's a zillions of philosophies out there. They're all going to tell you the same thing. You're not good enough. Do a bunch of stuff, and maybe you'll kind of sort of get there, but you'll never know. That's it. And then there's this. Have faith in Jesus Christ, and he will bequeath you, he will give you this avalanche of stuff that ought to completely blow your mind and fill you full of joy and hope and purpose and meaning and awaken you to become fully alive. The accusations that are aimed at your heart, empty cylinder, the gun is empty. The lies to go after your mind, you've got the word of God, you've got truth, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got discernment, empty gun barrel. All the temptations that he wants to play, saying this will make you happy, this will make you fulfilled, this will make you empty gun barrel. If you'll walk in it, you can go back. That's the warning, Colossians, Galatians. You can go back and play some religious game. Or you can step forward into the full relationship that Jesus Christ has promised you. Where you are son placed, you are adopted you are given life and purpose and meaning, eternal, everlasting. What are you living? What's your alert and oriented? Because I'm a betting man. I, I'm willing to bet you haven't stepped up to all of what God has. And then, of course, the other question becomes, so what, what happens to Satan after he does the snap of his fingers and, and nothing works anymore? It says this in Revelation 20.10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Wow, Satan, you were winning so big. I mean, from Genesis all the way through. I mean, you had every... You, he's got Nothing. He's got nothing, and he's going nowhere. And his ability to scare you or tempt you or make you feel afraid or ashamed or guilty, all of it has been nullified. And I double-tog dare you to walk in that reality because that's what Jesus is offering you. And that's what Paul's trying to remind a bunch of religious folk to get back to. I pray You'll find the fullness 
of what Jesus wants to transfer into your life so that you would come fully alive and awake, alert and oriented, plus four. Let me pray. Father God, Father, we're at church. You know, we're religious folk. We have a tendency to come up with a bunch of rules. <laughs> we, we have a tendency to, to add stuff. And yet, Father, here's Paul reminding us, strip it all away, and it's just Jesus in his fullness. It's just Jesus in what he accomplished. It's just Jesus in his promises. It's just Jesus, just Jesus, and he wants to transfer all of that to us. And God, we sometimes think that it, it, this is, you know, it's just, a, it's just an idea, it's just a concept, and maybe we'll go to heaven someday. We don't think that this is a reality that you want to birth in us and will bring to fruition right here and right now, and God, help us. Help us to not be waiting someday for heaven. Help us to right here, right now, know that Satan has been demolished and obliterated, and that he has no more power over us to tempt us or to accuse us. Remind us of who Jesus is. Remind us of what we have in him. And bring us fully awake and alive. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. All God's people said.